If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we are going to start in verse 1, um, and uh, just see where the Lord takes us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Philippians 3. If you have your outlines, you'll see the title, The Surpassing Worth of Knowing Christ. I hope you're able to print those off at home before you come, or you can do it on your app as well. So let's dive in and see what the Lord uh, has in store for us this morning. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, I'm going to pause here for just a moment, because you see that we are in Philippians chapter 3, and Paul still got about 40% of his uh, letter left to be written, and so he's going to say, finally, it doesn't mean it's almost over. I don't know about y'all, it's never happened here in this church before, but there's a, there's a time where you maybe had a professor or something, and it would be like, you know, a 50-minute class, and you're 20 minutes in, and the professor would say, and finally, and you would start to be like, Yes. We're going to get out of here early this morning. We're going to hit the lunch cart early. Everything's going to be good. And then he goes on for another like three hours. And you think, what was the finally about there? And here, Paul is going to say, finally. And then he's going to carry on for 40% more of his letter. So it's a little bit funny. Not, not really. But at the same level, um, Paul is going to give us this finally, which essentially carries on his conversation from earlier in chapter 2. So he's going to say, finally, my brothers, knowing that we still have a lot left to cover, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers, those who um, mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes apart from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Do the Lord teach us this morning. Lord, we need your guidance. We need your wisdom. Lord, would you open our hearts? Would you tune our hearts to your frequency to hear your heartbeat, to hear your word, and so that when we leave here, we are changed people. So, Lord, we love you, and thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. First thing that we see this morning is that, besides finally, is that Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is a safeguard for you. Paul's essentially saying, hey, I'm going to say this to you again. I'm going to write these things to you another time. Right? In my imagination, I think Paul was in the Philippian church and he was saying these things so often to them that they almost rolled their eyes in the back of their head saying, Paul, again with it, you're going to say rejoice again. I mean, essentially in Philippians 4.4, he's going to say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Already in Philippians 1 and 2, he's talked about rejoicing. And here again in chapter 3, Paul is going to say rejoice in the Lord. I mean, these are things that Paul is 
continuing over and over, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice. This is a good thing. And I like to think at Paul's church in Philippi, Paul would speak this so often that the Philippian church would just say, on with it, Paul. Let's get to the next thing, man. Come on. We're tired of hearing about rejoicing in the Lord. It reminds me of our great pastor emeritus who would often say, we need Jesus and we need each other, right? Have you all heard that before? Is it the first time you've heard it? I'm not sure. No, we heard it often, right? And it was because it was important that we hear it over and over again. We need Jesus and we need each other. These simple platitudes that are so important that are safeguards for our soul. When times get difficult, things get hard and weary, that we're reminded we need Jesus, but we also need each other in this life journey. These simple, repeated truths by Paul are safeguards for our soul. When we go through seasons of struggle and lament and hurt and pain, that we have these things that we turn to that can be safeguards for our soul. Reminds me of an interaction that Ed and I got to have this week. You know, our services are broadcast onto WSFA and Frazier and other places. And this week, I got a phone call from Miss Joyce in Prattville. And Miss Joyce just called, and I could tell that there was a little pain in her heart and just said, uh, I'm struggling. I'm deeply, deeply struggling. I'm 80-some-odd years old. I can't remember. I think she said 88, but she was, she was up there in age. And she said, my husband's been uh, passed away for 15 years, and he was a preacher. He taught God's Word so faithfully, and uh, I was in church every single opportunity I could possibly get. I rocked the babies in the nursery. I was in church just every chance. And so as we went and talked to her, she just, she lamented about her faith that's grown cold and stagnant. She said she struggles to even pray and even rejoice in the Lord. She's hurt and tired. And somehow, during the course of our conversation, Ed found a piano. I don't know where he found a piano, but Ed found a piano in her house, and he just started playing these classic hymns of the faith, just blaring them out. And it was just me and Joyce sitting there talking, and Ed's in there playing. Her heart just started to overflow, and I saw tears start to stream from her eyes. And I just asked if she was okay, and, and she looked at me, and she said, Mark, I, I don't know if I would go to heaven if I died. Oh, for a moment, Joyce, you're 80-something years old. Your husband was a preacher. You've heard everything under the sun. You know Scripture. You talk about Scripture. You know these songs that you sing. Why would you think that you wouldn't go to heaven? And so for the next little bit, it was almost like a, a scene out of a movie. As Ed blares these wonderful hymns out from the other room, I get the opportunity not to go through the discord of all these deep theological truths. We didn't, we didn't walk through Jesus' genealogy to lead her back. And I didn't spend time talking about regeneration and these deep theological principles from a systematic theology book. Do you know what I did? I just said, Joyce, do you know God loves you? Joyce, do you know God cares for you? Joyce, do you know that God is with you and that he has not left you nor forsaken you? I know that you haven't been in church in seven months, but do you know that people love you and care for you? And so for five minutes, we just talked through, and I reminded her, Joyce, do you know what the Bible says about God's love for you? And after five or ten minutes of us just talking, and as Ed came back in and shared with her, and as we prayed for her, you could tell her faith was just encouraged, not by deep theological truths, but by simple gospel truths that were like safeguards for her soul to bring her back on the pathway. 
to remind her of God's great love for her and care for her, 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 her nearness to God and the brokenhearted that God is with her, not left her nor forsaken her, that God is with her always to the end of the age. And do you know where I found those simple truths? In the Bible. And as we just talked and encouraged her, Joyce needed to hear simple, repeated gospel truths to buoy her soul. And friends, there are seasons where that old song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, is a, is a reality in all of our lives that we feel that in different seasons, that we stray away and go these different pathways and our heart begins to be taken by other affections. And what do we do? But we come back to the truth of God's word, that God loves us. He cares for us. He is with us. He's not left you nor forsaken you, that his mercies were new every single day and that you have not yet found the end of God's grace over you. Friends, we need that spoken in our lives, reminded of it often in our hearts and lives. And so that's why simple, repeated gospel truths are safeguards for your soul. That's why I will speak it time and time and time again from this pulpit to the point I hope you get tired of hearing the elementary truths of the gospel because we never outgrow them. We're never too old for them. We're never too wise for them. We need the simple elementary truths that Jesus loves us. This I know. For the Bible tells you so. And so we're reminded of it over and over because we need these safeguards to guard our soul against all that's out there pressuring us and leading us into temptation and leading us to the left and to the right. Friends, we need these safeguards for our soul. And so I was so encouraged as I shared with Joyce to be reminded in my own heart, yes, oh man, yes, God does love me. God does care for me. God is with me. He doesn't leave me when I'm up and down and all around. God is with me always to the end of the age. And friends, this is why Paul says, I'm going to write these same things to you again, and you're going to hear them again because they are safeguards for your soul. And it does me no harm to say them to you again, but it does us tremendous good as a faith family to hear them once again. So rejoice in the Lord. Now, we'll talk in the next few weeks as we get to Philippians 4 about rejoicing in the Lord, and he's going to say it again, rejoice in the Lord. So we'll unpack that fully in the coming weeks. But for this morning, you need to know that central point, in the Lord is our key phrase. So Paul then moves from this wonderful reminder down to some really weighty stuff. He says in verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who will mutilate the flesh. Now, Paul's not saying look out for the dogs because dogs are awesome and we love dogs. We want to pet the dogs. That's not the sense in which Paul's talking about look out for the dogs, right? Paul's talking about looking out for these people who are going to add things to the confidence we have in Jesus. Essentially, Paul is taking an insult that the Jews would give to the Gentiles and flipping it back on its head and giving it back to the Jews, these Jewish uh, teachers would say that you had to be saved and then circumcised. That that was how you experienced the fullness of your salvation. That's how you were close to Christ as you were saved and you were redeemed and then you were circumcised. That you had to be circumcised to experience the fullness of your salvation. And Paul is going to hit them with a one-two punch of no. Right? Paul's going to give them the fullness here. And let's see what he says. He says, put no confidence in the flesh and glory in Christ Jesus. And he says, though, you, though I have confidence in the flesh, if anybody thinks they have more confidence in their flesh, I've got more. Look at what he says. He, he, he gives them their rap sheet. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Check. 
I'm of the people of Israel, check. Tribe of Benjamin, check. Hebrew of Hebrews, check. As to the law, he's a Pharisee, check. As to zeal, persecutor of the church, check. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had it all by religion's sake. Paul had everything that he needed. And in essence, Paul was to take confidence in the flesh. He would be your guy who could make it to heaven based on all of his good works and good deeds. But Paul says, take no confidence in the flesh. Your second point is confidence in the flesh yields no eternal fruit. In essence, as Paul is saying, your family, your genealogy cannot save you. Your good works, your nationality, where you're born cannot save you. Only the blood of Jesus can save you. And I hope that you would know that this would be a simple truth that you would understand. But for a moment, I just want to share with you my story. Because I think what Paul is saying is a manifestation of what I have felt in my heart and what I've experienced in my life. I grew up to incredible parents. My mom and dad loved each other, loved the Lord, cared for one another, and had us in church every opportunity the doors were open. Sunday school, church. We were even night church folks, all right? It's another level, right? We were night church folks. Choirs, RAs, and everything, we were there. My grandmother taught a ladies' Sunday school class, and my grandfather was head of RAs for the state of Alabama. My other grandfather did the sound every Sunday morning for his church, and my grandmother, Helen, uh, was this great church lady, just always in the church and dressed in the night, just a wonderful lady. My family loved the Lord. Aunts, uncles, everybody across the board loved the Lord. We sat in the second pew of Eastern Hills Baptist Church because the first pew was reserved for the deacons. And I think my mamaw would have kicked you out of our seat if you had been in our seat. We were one of those, right? I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that that was her style, right? That that was our pew. We needed a plaque or something to say that's the Bethay pew. And I think other people would even say if visitors sat in that, this is so terrible. If other people sat in that pew, other people would walk up and say, hey, you know, I think that's the Bethay pew, right? That's how we rolled, all right? I was in the church, grew up in the church, and came to know the Lord at a young age. And at no fault of anybody, At some point, I began to feel and put confidence in my flesh. As I grew older, I began to think that some of this stuff that I was doing, I was somehow earning God's favor and God's love for me. That I didn't drink, smoke, and cuss and tell the bad, bad, uh, dirty jokes in the locker room. So somehow, I had earned a bit of God's love and favor. I didn't miss church. I didn't miss the things that were going on in the church life. And so somehow the things that I was doing was I was building up confidence in my flesh that somehow God was loving me because of all these things that I was doing. And at an inroad, it, it worked itself out. And at some point when I would sin and fall short and be in this rut of sinfulness, I would think, God, you can't love me. I mean, look at all the stuff I've done. You're, you're not going to love me. And so what I would do is get to work and try to do some good things so the scales would tip in my favor and maybe even even out and get God to love me back. And so I begin to take confidence in my flesh. Like I've got to earn my way back to you. I've got to get back to you through church attendance, or I've got to get back to you through doing a mission project or doing something nice for somebody or just doing these token things just to see that God would love me again. And friends, what you see Paul say is we take no confidence in our flesh, that our flesh is not what saves us, what saves us but the blood of Jesus. But friends, hear me say this morning that I'm not asking you to say, hey, we're off the deck and we don't have to come to church because Mark said it doesn't do you any good anyway. You know that's not what I'm saying. 
See, what happens in us is as we trust in the Lord, as we grow in the Lord, as we put our full assurance in what the Lord has done in our hearts and in our lives, what happens is we begin to want to be around God's people, to fellowship together, to love one another, to serve the Lord, to be a servant of Christ Jesus. Once we feel that love and that we're found in Him. See, friends, we can know the Lord theologically. We can know the Lord intellectually. But we can miss knowing the Lord intimately. I believe at times we go through these stages where we go through the motions to feel justified in our faith because we know so much about him that intellectually we have all the right answers to anybody who would ever say anything against our God, that we have all the right theological and intellectual answers, but we miss knowing God intimately. We can have all these facts, but do we love God intimately because he desperately wants to know us intimately? So friends, we can take no confidence in our flesh. It's not about what family you come from, good or bad. That's not about where you were born, good or bad. The only thing that matters, are you in Jesus? Do you know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, friends? Paul gives his entire rap sheet. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's done everything by the books. His religion is perfect and blameless, but he was missing Jesus in the midst of all he was doing. And friends, we can do all this great stuff, but do you know Jesus? Have you trusted in him with everything you are? Have you trusted in him with your life? Are you giving him your life? Do you know him and does he know you? It's fascinating. In verse 8, it says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. See, when we stand before judgment, before Christ, we won't say, Lord, look at all these great things that I have done. Lord, don't you love me because of what, you have, what I have done for you? The only way we will see Jesus is because of what he has done on our behalf. And so we take great confidence. We take great joy in knowing what Jesus has done for us. And it works itself out as we live in our world to go and do and love and share and tell more than we ever have before because of the great love with which God has loved us. So as we go, we see this last point. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. See, Paul's last confident assertion is it is worth it. Friends, it is worth it. Paul has given up everything by cultural standards. He's given up everything for the sake of knowing Jesus. And do you know what he says? It is worth it. By cultural standards, Paul is sitting in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. He doesn't have the freedoms that we would enjoy. And so you can look at Paul and say, right now, as he's writing the book of Philippians, he's in prison. He's under house arrest. He's not in good standing culturally. But before this, Paul was on top of the cultural standings. Probably well taken care of financially, probably sought after for religious viewpoints and views. Paul had everything together, and now Paul is sitting in prison. And do you know, even while he's sitting in prison, do you know what he says? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it because I know Christ, and I'm found in him. Friends, the things that we walk through and experience, it is worth it when we walk through it with Jesus. It's worth it to rejoice when we're in the Lord. 
It's not worth it when we don't have the trust of Jesus. Friends, if we gain everything this world has to offer but miss Christ, we have missed it all. If we gain everything religion has to offer but we miss Christ, we have missed it all. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 16. For whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Friends, this counters everything to us in culture, that we give up our hearts and our lives for the sake of knowing Jesus and knowing the power of his resurrection. This is the goal. Not that we get everything church has to offer us, but we seek Christ and we know Christ through our involvement and our investment. This last point is found at the beginning, and it makes sense of everything that we've talked about this morning. Your application this morning is rejoice in the Lord. Friends, this key phrase, three words, in the Lord, is going to take the foundation of everything that we'll talk about this morning. If we do not first and foremost live in light of being in the Lord, then nothing will make sense. We'll continue to grumble. We'll continue to be dim lights in the midst of this crooked and dark generation. We'll continue to do the things we've always done unless we are in the Lord. And so right now, I want to ask you this important question. Are you in the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Have you trusted in him with your life? Has he taken your sins away as far as the east is from the west? Friends, I want you to rejoice not in great things that have happened all around you, but rejoice in the goodness of the Lord in your life. So that's our key application this morning. As you leave this place, we have much to rejoice over. We rejoice over babies being born. We rejoice over new marriages. We rejoice over jobs and promotions and getting back to worship together. But the key phrase in the Lord is everything. It is everything about the way that we live our lives. We take confidence in our flesh. If we are in the Lord, then everything else will make sense. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for your love over us. Thank you for your love in us. And as we go through this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you would teach, mold, and make us more into your image. Lord, we are thankful for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.